Well, I love sharing Christmas gifts around the tree, and I'll bet you do too. That can be an absolutely wonderful experience, and as we exchange presents with family and friends, there are always moments of surprise and delight. There are moments of great happiness. But you know, once in a while, there's some moments of disappointment. Like if you're a little boy who wants a fire truck and you open the package and your grandma gave you a pair of pajamas. (laughs) Not quite so exciting. But the fact is, opening presents is a lot of fun. And unfortunately, it all comes to an end. Because when the last gift is open, it's over. Finished. Done. And we have to wait an entire year to recreate that experience and the feeling that goes along with that experience. And you see, if our focus is on the presence, the gifts, then we actually set ourselves up to be let down. Because presents only bring momentary happiness. But when God the Father gave his son Jesus to the world as the very first Christmas gift, he wanted us to experience so much more than happiness. He wanted us to experience joy. Joy that his son had come to live among us. Joy that through Jesus God was revealing himself to mankind so that we could see what God was like up close and personal. Joy that God was making a way for humanity to be forgiven of our sins and we could experience personally the love of God. So the character of Christmas goes far beyond happiness. The character of Christmas is shaped by a deep-seated, lasting joy. Joy that resonates with us at the level of the soul. Joy that sustains us through all of the ups and downs of life. And on the night that Jesus is born, God informs the world about his gift of joy. And he does so by dramatically breaking the news to some pretty ordinary shepherds. Shepherds who are out in the fields doing their normal job of working the graveyard shift to watch over their flocks. And what we're about to see is that as so often happens when God sends messengers to human beings, the story typically begins with fear. And this is a story that will turn to joy. But it doesn't start that way. It starts with fear. And what do you do when you're afraid? We're going to talk about that. Let's take a look. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now this announcement is being given because earlier that night Jesus the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Mary gave birth to her son in an old stable or perhaps even a small cave with Joseph her husband by her side. And they had to use an old feeding trough called a manger 
as a cradle. Now that's not the setting they would have chosen for the birth of their son, but it's all that was available. And now that Jesus has arrived in the the world, God sends this angel to announce this event to these shepherds who are watching over their flocks just outside town. Now in our modern world, most of us probably don't know a lot about shepherds, but the reality is that the life of a shepherd is really hard, but it's also pretty routine. And part of that routine is working the night shift. Shepherds have to take turns staying awake to watch out for predatory animals. And even back then in the first century, if the sheep were left alone, there were rustlers who might try to steal some of their flock. And so here these shepherds are. It's another routine night out in the fields. They're hanging out, probably chatting. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the normal rhythm and routine of their lives is interrupted by an angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord who is surrounded by some kind of dramatic otherworldly light that somehow, some way, is an indicator of the glory of God himself. That that doesn't typically happen on the graveyard shift. And these shepherds recognize that something supernatural is taking place something that is way outside their worldview and experience, and it's pretty natural that they're filled with fear. And so what do we think would happen next? What do people typically do when they're afraid? How do do we respond? Well, when we're afraid, we usually react in one of two ways. We may choose to respond by fighting back against that thing that's causing us to fear, or we may try to run away to safety. It's a very typical human reaction called the fight or flight response. And in most cases, that's the way we respond to situations that cause us physical fear. But what we need to realize is when it comes to supernatural events, that simply doesn't work that response will be ineffective. After all, if our fear is in response to an act of God, does it make sense to think we can fight? (laughs) Really? I can't conceive of any reasonable way you or I could fight back against the creator of the universe. The fight response is doomed to failure. And how about flight? Flight doesn't work either. Oh, we can try to run away from God, but if God wants to interrupt your life or mine, if he wants to get our attention, then trying to flee from him is a waste of time and energy. We simply will not escape. And if you somehow think you can run away from God, I encourage you to read the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. (laughs) Jonah's experience makes clear that when God wants to get a hold of us for any reason, we can't run and we can't hide. So what do we do then if God interrupts our lives in such a way that we're afraid and maybe even terrified? You know what we do? We just stand there and we listen. We stop, we pay attention, and we listen to what God has to say. 
That's the only reasonable response. And that's what these shepherds do. They stay put and they listen to God's messenger. And here's an excerpt from that message. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what great joy, great joy that will be for some people, no, all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Oh, that was key wording right there. A sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now we need to understand that for hundreds of years, the Jewish people have been waiting for this exact moment. God continually has told the chosen people that a Messiah would come and he would usher in a new age. And with this historical announcement, that prophesied event now actually has taken place. It's an amazing announcement delivered in an amazing way. And one of the most amazing things is who God chooses to be the recipients of this unique heavenly birth announcement. I mean, just think about this. These angels have just announced the most important event in human history. God has come to earth in human form in order to redeem us. And yet, the high priest in Jerusalem, who's responsible for the spiritual welfare of God's people, he doesn't know this has happened. The Pharisees, those defenders of law and tradition, they're out of the loop. Caesar, the emperor of the mighty Roman Empire, is clueless. Even the mayor of Bethlehem, that little village where it all happens. He doesn't know what's happened in his town that night. You see, all of these are influential people, and those influential people eventually learn about Jesus, but not on that night. On that night, the very first proclamation goes to a simple group of sheep herders outside of Bethlehem. And from a human perspective, this makes zero sense because these men have zero influence. And you may not realize it, but shepherds in first century Israel are despised. They're despised by everyone. In fact, on the social ladder, shepherds are probably about just one rung higher than lepers. The Romans don't trust them, and the Jews hate them. Under Roman rule, if you're a shepherd, you can't testify in court because all shepherds are considered to be pathological liars. How's that for a sweeping judgment against a group of people? And as bad as that is, the Jewish view of shepherds is even worse. The Jews considered the herding of sheep to be an unclean profession, and that's a loaded word within Judaism. And shepherds are unclean not because the work they do is dirty, which it is, 
And they're unclean not because they often smell bad, which they do. It's not easy to bathe regularly when you're out in the fields. They're unclean because the very nature of their work keeps them out of town virtually all of the time. You don't find pasture land in the heart of the city. And what that means is that these men find it extremely difficult to participate in the ongoing religious life of the community. Shepherds don't participate in the religious festivals. They don't participate in religious services on any regular basis. They're they're not able to participate consistently in the rites of purification. And in the Jewish society, that's huge because their, their world is centered around God and worship and the sacrificial events at the temple, and shepherds just aren't part of that. They're outsiders. And therefore, they are viewed as spiritually substandard. They're labeled as religiously unfit by the Jewish religious leaders. Which means if you're a shepherd, your culture is sending you a message loud and clear. The culture is saying to you, you don't matter to us because you don't matter to God. What a way to write off an entire category of human beings. And by doing so, to cause them to live with a sense of spiritual helplessness and hopelessness. And there's a great irony actually in that Jewish attitude toward shepherds because those same religious leaders that go, ooh, shepherds. (laughs) They actually admire shepherds in principle. The Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is filled with stories of great and godly shepherds. People like Moses and King David and the Pharisees and the priests and the rabbis love to tell those stories of great, holy, godly shepherds from long ago. They just don't believe that a shepherd can be godly in their day. Which, by the way, is a reminder that sometimes we can romanticize the past. (laughs) And we can look at the past through eyes that say, you know, that could happen back then, but God couldn't raise up a shepherd to be a prophet or leader in our day. We need to be careful not to do that. And here's the other irony about all of this. The Jewish spiritual law requires innocent lambs to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And without that sacrifice, there can be no forgiveness. And to ensure that at major festival times like the Passover, to make sure that there's enough lambs available to be sacrificed, the priests actually manage their own flocks, which means they have shepherds on their payroll. These shepherds are crucial, not just for providing food, but they're crucial to the spiritual well-being of the entire nation. And yet the spiritual leaders look down on these people whose function is essential for their own salvation. Wow. I mean, it's absolutely incredible, that attitude. 
I, I find myself trying to um, uh, identify with that, and I say, well, what, what would it be like if our culture tried to do things like that? What if we picked a certain profession or certain professions, and, and we labeled them as unfit? What if we said, you know, butchers are, are, are engaging in an unclean profession. They, they have to cut raw meat and wallow in blood all day. And so we think all butchers are relationally and morally and spiritually unfit. Wow. Can you imagine us doing that? I would hope not. But think how it would feel to be on the receiving end of that kind of attitude, to be marginalized like that. And if you were in that situation, it would be a tragedy for you. But it's that kind of thing that the shepherds in first century Israel felt and experienced. You are not to be trusted. You are not good enough to socialize with normal people. And you're just not good enough for God. And that's the backstory to this event of Christmas night. Because what does God do? He picks out a group of one of the most despised people in the Israelite culture. And he selects those people to receive his heavenly birth announcement. And why would God do that? He does it because it proves that the angel's proclamation is in fact true. When the angel says that the arrival of Jesus is good news, full of great joy for all people, oh, he really means it. Messiah is coming for everyone. He's coming to give everyone the opportunity to experience spiritual joy. Even shepherds. Even people like you and me who so often fall short of what God would expect of us. So this heavenly birth announcement, this selection of the shepherds as the audience for that announcement, I see it as an act of redemption because God is choosing spiritual outsiders and bringing them within his reach and he's, he's saying, you know what, other people, human beings, your culture, they may consider you unclean and beyond hope, but I, the creator of heaven and earth, do not. God is saying to them, I want you within my embrace. Is it any surprise then that as these shepherds listen to the message from the heavenly host of angels, that their initial fear is transformed into excitement? And the joy of this announcement, the joy of this heavenly birth announcement is radiated to them as they realize the creator of heaven and earth has just fulfilled an ancient prophecy and they've been alive to see it and hear about it and they also are privileged to become part of the story. God has made it abundantly clear he cares about them. And oh, is that a cause for joy. And brothers and sisters, as we consider the breadth of this story, I hope we keep in mind the plight of the shepherds and the way they were treated by their culture. And if we're ever tempted to write off certain kinds of people, 
Let's not head down that path. It's not our call. And what we see time and again in Scripture is that our God loves to reach out to the very people that societies love to marginalize. And he loves to find those people who are spiritually hopeless and draw them within his embrace and fill them with hope and joy. And that message comes through loud and clear on the very first Christmas. So the shepherds, they're frightened. They stand and they listen. And then they're faced with a choice. Because when the angels leave, you know what they could do? They could go, wow, wasn't that really cool? We, we heard some great things, man. God's doing some awesome stuff in the world, and we now can spend the rest of our lives telling this story about the angels to our kids and grandkids. What a cool event. Well, we've got sheep to herd. Let's get back to work. See, we can do that when God shows up. Makes something clear. We can receive it with excitement and then we can just be passive. But these shepherds don't do that. They listen, and then they respond. They decide not to be simply passive recipients of this incredible angelic message, but to become active participants in the event. And they decide to go searching so they can find this announced Messiah and see him for themselves. Let's take a look. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, not let's just keep hanging out around the campfire, right? Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And I think there's a tremendous amount of faith summarized in that one simple verse. And it's not just because they could have stayed there. It's also because the angel never said to them, okay, I've told you this, now God commands you go visit the baby. The angel didn't say that. The angel said, oh, you'll, you'll find the baby. And I find it really interesting because it's kind of subtle. I see, I see God through these angels making an announcement and dangling an invitation And this is so often the way God works. He lets us know what he's doing. He lets us know what might be in store for us. And then we have the choice about how to respond. And the shepherds respond to what God has said as an invitation to act. And so they go to see this announced Messiah. But here's another interesting wrinkle in the story. The angel tells them who they will find. They're going to find an historical baby, not just some other run-of-the-mill Jewish boy, but a historical baby. By the way, not a hysterical baby, (laughs) a historical baby. And he lets them know what they will find. A baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. But the angel never says where they'll find him. The angel knows the exact spot, but he doesn't doesn't give these shepherds the address. 
He doesn't say, okay, now head into Bethlehem and go down the main street, take the first right, hang a left, and then it's the third stable on the left. I mean, he could have done something like that, but he didn't. He doesn't drop down a miraculous map with X marks the spot. Even if this was modern times, in a situation like that, Google and GPS won't help if you don't know the destination. The only way these men can find the Messiah is by investing time and energy, by searching, engaging in some trial and error. They have to walk all over town, searching through all the stables and all the caves until they find just the right one. And guess what? It's highly likely that there might be more than one baby born in Bethlehem that night, and any newborn is going to be wrapped in cloths. But surely there would only be one baby sleeping in a feeding trough. And that's why the angel gave them that sign. And that's the sign for which they look. If they can find that one baby, they know that the angel's words were true, that God himself had spoken. Unfortunately, Bethlehem is a village. It's not a huge city. So this search is a manageable plan. But it will require some patience and some diligence. And the shepherds know what lies ahead. They know that search is going to be challenging, but they go. They go. And that's what I love the most about these men. Remember, these men are not religiously active. They are not religiously trained. And yet when God's messenger speaks, they immediately respond without doubt, without cynicism, without second guessing. They go. They willingly leave their flocks behind to go searching for the Messiah. This is a profound act of faith and a great example to all of us. And because of their faith, they find the baby. And then they realize, oh yes, we weren't having nightmares out there in the fields. It wasn't some strange, bizarre vision. God himself did show up and did speak to us and everything the heavenly host said is true. And then they experience incredible, life-changing joy. Let's look at a couple of final verses here. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And then they returned, meaning going back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. I've tried to put myself in the sandals of those men and imagine what that must have been like. Can you imagine what they feel at that moment? They, They must be incredibly overwhelmed that they are actively participating with God in a historical life-changing event. And they're so excited. They want to share this news. They want to share this experience. They want to share their joy with everyone they meet. And they have no hesitation about telling their story 
because the good news of Jesus is a message of joy for everyone. It's news that's meant to be shared, not to be a secret. And here's one of the challenges I think we face. Part of the reason they're so joyful is because this is the first Christmas. And for us, Christmas is a repeat event. Over time, we can start to take it for granted. The excitement can wane. And yet God wants the meaning of this event to fill us with joy. It may not be the same joy as when it's brand new, but it can be a deep-seated, soul-changing joy that we carry with us and that always sustains us. And that joy should fill us with an eagerness to share the good news of Christmas with all of the people around us, which is exactly what the shepherds did. And what God asks of us is to just joyfully tell the story. How people respond, that's not on us, it's up to them. The fact is when we tell people about the meaning and message of Christmas, we won't always get an enthusiastic response. It appears that the shepherds did. When Elizabeth was reading earlier, we heard in verse 18 that the people in Bethlehem are kind of going, hmm, what's going on here? (laughs) They're wondering about what the shepherds said. Now, now they're amazed at the message because if it's true, it means that the the Messiah they've been waiting for for more than 700 years finally has has arrived, but wait, 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 this news is coming through shepherds? What? (laughs) Everyone knows that the testimony of a shepherd can't be trusted. But if this story is true, it means God picked shepherds to be the first-hand witnesses of the birth of Jesus. And then to give first-hand testimony about what they'd seen. And if all that's really true, wow, what's God saying? He's saying that the testimony of a shepherd's not good enough for a Roman magistrate, it's not good enough for a Jewish Pharisee, but it's good enough for God. And so, yes, the people of Bethlehem have some questions. But I think for those who are paying attention, it is a preview of the coming mission and ministry of the Messiah. God is telling people right up front, the arrival of Jesus in the world is good news for all people. It's no wonder that the shepherds are full of joy in praising God. They're full of joy because they matter to God and they want everyone they come in contact with to know and experience and be able to embrace that same level of joy. Joy about the birth of the Messiah. Joy that centuries of prophecy have come true, that God has kept his word. The very first Christmas now is underway and the character of Christmas is being shaped by a message of joy. Joy is at the heart of Christmas because this little baby will grow up and make a way for all people to experience the love and forgiveness of God. I absolutely love this story because of the dramatic transformation that we see take place. It begins with this fearful interruption and then we get to see how that fear is transformed into joy. 
And I love the way that we see the faith of the shepherds in action. And I think that if we're honest, we don't really like it when God interrupts us, when God inconveniences us. I think if we're honest, we prefer to have God enter into our plans. We like to set our agendas and say, God, here's what I'm gonna do. Would you just please bless my agenda and bless my plans? But what we learn from the shepherds is that the pathway to real spiritual joy is to align ourselves with God's agenda. To listen and be alert so we can discern what God's doing in the world and to go where God is and to join him and become part of his plan and his purposes as he builds his kingdom. And that's exactly what these shepherds do. Because they listen and because they respond and because they search for Jesus and find him, they get to be the very first guests to visit the Messiah. And they're filled with incredible life-sustaining joy. But the climax of that event begins when God interrupts the rhythm and routine of their lives. Because of the way that happened on the very first Christmas, I think it's good for us to consider this Christmas and every Christmas. Because at this time of year, boy, do our calendars get full of plans. We all have lots of events and activities and things on our to-do list. And, And the fact is, a lot of it is really good stuff that we should do and need to do. But let's be careful that we don't get so wrapped up in our routines that we somehow miss seeing Jesus. And as we're going about our business, let's be open to the interruptions that God might want us to make. Maybe as we're rushing around, it's that little nudge from the Holy Spirit when he says, you know, take a few minutes and go check on your neighbor. Continue to build that relationship so that through you, this neighbor over time can learn about the love of God. Maybe it's that quiet voice of the Holy Spirit that says, you know, as you're checking out the store, don't just think about all the stuff that you're buying and how you're going to pay for it. Pay attention to that cashier. There's a human being made in the image of God. Maybe strike up a conversation. And perhaps there's a way you can offer that man or woman a pleasant word, a word of hope, maybe even a word of spiritual encouragement. Let's be like the shepherds and look for Jesus, even if it takes some effort. Let's be aware of what God wants to do in us and through us so that we can experience the deep and lasting joy of Christmas. God himself came to earth in human form. That ought to blow our minds because it changes everything. And that story truly is very joyful news. News that our world desperately needs to hear. And if they don't hear it from us, where will they hear it? Let's be ambassadors for joy. Please pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the faith that we see in these shepherds. And I just, I marvel at their willingness to listen to the angel and, and that without any doubts or any questions, they just go searching for the baby. Oh, Lord, may we learn from their example and be inspired by their example. And as we go through each day, I pray that we would always be looking for Jesus. That we would look for ways that you want to bring your joy into our lives. And may we be attentive to the people all around us, men and women and children made in your image, O God. And show us how without being obnoxious or overbearing, we can simply be ambassadors for the joy of Jesus in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.